1: All right, welcome on to the continuation, possibly not the conclusion because we like to take our time. We get so many great questions here of our West Mailbag and the place we are going to start here Danny is with the Los Angeles, not LA Lakers.
0: Right. And the Lakers now since they've been 4 and 4 since the last 1560, they're up to an 11 and 15 record getting significantly closer to the play-in and ideally the playoffs. Though they are still 24th in net rating, negative 2.3 points per hundred possessions per cleaning the glass, 21st in offense, 20th in defense, and the 538 models, Raptor and Elo, are still skeptical. Both project the Lakers to win 35 games, which is 12th in the West, that is outside of the play-in, and Raptor gives them a 15% chance of making the playoffs, Elo a 22% chance of making the playoffs.
1: That's interesting. So the system likes the way they've been playing better than their players. <laughs> and, and and perhaps that's because Anthony Davis hasn't been playing at, at this level recently. So he's not given as much juice in the Raptor ratings. So this one, I, I thought this is a fantastic handle for our first question, because maybe one response to the way the Lakers have played the last 10, 15 games or so is it's a trap.
0: As is any Lakers Watfo for me. So, uh, Admiral Akbar,
1: Darvin Ham's offense is creating a lot of quality shots. The defense is pretty basic, but it's been working. Davis is playing at an MVP level, but LeBron has taken the most field goal attempts of his career. Really? Is that true? I'll look that up as I continue here. But the question is, what do you think of Ham's offensive and defensive systems? Assume no trades. Is this sustainable?
0: So, uh, that that in, the question inspired me to look at the, 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 the Lakers shot chart to get his, get a sense of what the questioner was going at and they are say, say his name admiral akbar that's crap um and the the good shots thing is largely correct i mean so the lakers are first in location effective field goal percentage and they are doing so by getting a ton around the basket the lakers are taking 40.4 percent of their shots around the basket that is number one in the league and there are only a couple of teams that are particularly close charlotte and new orleans are, are right in that range the lakers are also getting to the line a lot they're third in free throw attempt rate so in terms of the shots they're taking and what i found notable about that in a way also is that the lakers are have the number one location effective field goal percentage with just the fourth lowest three-point attempt frequency and part of that is because you're taking so many shots at the rim there are fewer to distribute everywhere else the other part of that is just shots at the rim are typically more effective and so that's the it's the part of the Analytics thing that in the early days was the most wrong is the idea that like shots around the like oh, oh jump shoot teams. No shots around the basket, dunks, free throws, that kind of stuff is still the best. So I agree with I agree with the general premise. And if the Lakers had better shooters, I think they would shoot more threes. Um but yeah, and and, and their defense, I think it especially when you consider the talent level, yeah, yeah, 20th isn't fantastic, but they especially with the absences the Lakers have had, they haven't had the greatest defensive personnel overall.
1: Yeah, just the talking about the, the sustainability of the offense getting to the rim usually pretty sustainable as long as you have health and they don't have great three-point shooting their frequency is not incredibly high but at least they aren't usually playing guys who just can't even think about taking a three-pointer at this point I mean maybe Westbrook and Schroeder like those guys when you play those guys together it gets a little bit rough like there was one closing lineup in the Pacers game that had those guys together I was too pleased with that but generally they'll have guys who at least think about saying like austin reeves is developing into a decent enough shooter and they're playing davis at center exclusively which really helps and so that's a a big part of why this getting to the rim has been so impressive and then they're also near the top of the league in drawing free throw attempts and that's been a big part of what davis has been doing as well recently so i i do think that this offense where they've been recently i mean you remember they were dead fucking last 30th for a time and dead fucking last in terms a three-point percentage like below 30 percent for a long time they've actually been above average uh, during this davis stretch and i think the bigger issue in terms of sustainability is health rather than and, and ad you know he's been set wrote about this a couple weeks ago or, or maybe about a week ago i should say where ad's self-created shot attempts he's been shooting better uh, on those than you might be expected and he's been kind of in the 60 percent range on two the twos that he's taking away from the basket and, and particularly from floatering so that may drop off a a little bit and then on defense the the numbers are kind of interesting there too they never ever force turnovers they don't have anyone who can get a steal on this team you know davis is probably honestly their best steals guy at this point but at least they never foul that's like actually been one of lebron's most underrated strengths as a player is just how little he fouls, and davis too very rarely fouls given his role and how often he's involved at the room i think they could get a little bit better on the defensive glass and they're allowing you know a little bit above average in terms of shots at the rim in terms of the percentage of shots that opponents are taking at the rim and they're right about average in terms of opponent shooting at the rim which is so much better than they were last year when they were just they're playing lebron at center so much they were just totally terrible at that so you know i don't think that they have the juice to be an elite defense without a trade but this seems like a team that could be maybe slightly above average on both ends but that's with AD playing at this insane level. And so that's really the greater issue with the sustainability. Now, maybe LeBron can play better than he's played so far. And, and he missed a bunch of time when AD started this surge. So maybe that arise from him could cancel out a decline or maybe some health issues from Davis and Schroeder actually is like kind of stabilized them a little bit too. Not that he's mm-hmm. like played amazingly well, but he's just given them another guy who's at least semi-competent in the backcourt. Um, oh,
0: so, yeah, so on that, the that Davis... was a long
1: answer on that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah
0: and this will tie in with a couple of the different questions that we had but just so it's out there right now we're not doing awards now i'm not saying these two things are gospel but as things stand at the moment we're recording this podcast anthony davis is fourth in estimated plus minus and he is second in overall raptor these are both not calibrating on games played this is the version of it that's just basically like how well have you played when you've been on the four? he actually just passed luca last night and so that's pretty impressive you know that's and that that we'll we'll see whether it continues but davis is yeah.
1: All, all NBA center. If he keeps this up between him, Jokic, and Embiid, it's going to be a bloodbath.
0: Sorry, not to spoil a question from later, but him, Jokic, Embiid, and Demontis Sabonis. But anyway, Sorry. we'll get there later. Sorry, um, of course. And we got a couple of different questions about Lonnie Walker and kind of how we're how we're feeling about him. Walker still. I mean, it's it's impressive that he's that he's hitting threes at this rate. You know, so so far on the year, thirty nine percent. He's a career thirty five percent three point shooter. Is and it actually that high? Yeah. Well, after the thirty-nine percent so far this year. Yeah.
1: Ah, um Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I guess he had. He had a good year really a couple only, years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Because he just wasn't taking them. Yeah. I guess he was. He only had one year. He's Had two years where he really was taking them, and one was thirty-six, and one was thirty-one. So okay, that makes sense.
0: Yeah. And and so for for Lonnie the two-point conversion has been a lot better that's why this has been the most efficient season of Lonnie Walker's career His career high true shooting before this year was 52 percent he's currently at 59 so you know career high shooting volume plus efficiency from three career high from two and playing with better te- playing with t- a teammate like LeBron James who can who can do all that is useful I still wonder where Lonnie Walker fits in on like a a, a team that's trying to be really competitive like you know the the combination of positional size and defense and everything else so i don't think his contract value has really like gone through the roof but he has had a better year than expectations and lonnie walker he turns 24 in a couple of days so the argument that he can still improve is there but i don't think he's like skyrocketed past the non-tax pyramid level or anything
1: yeah yeah and i think the big reason why that two-point shooting is so much better has been transition yes and he's really been able to run the least the lakers it's kind of interesting their overall pace per basketball reference is second so that's just you know number of possessions between them and their opponents per 100 possessions they're second in the nba there but if you drill down a little bit more as i think is a good idea within predictable i'm interested to see what they're cleaning the glass are saying this too the lakers are 20th in time to shoot after a made shot, they are 20th in time to shoot just overall 12.1 seconds. And, and your range there is from Memphis at 11.1 up to Philly at 12.8. But after a miss, the Lakers are fourth which is mm-hmm. really interesting at 9.4. Uh, San Antonio 1, Memphis 2, Milwaukee 3. And I think the Lakers are the only team that have just this massive... Well, actually, no, there are a couple other interesting teams that have this massive dichotomy on that. One is the Raptors. They're 27th after a make and 5th after a miss. Because I think after a make is basically just how quickly can you find a shot in your half-court offense. Running after makes is, us. I know you love it, but it's also a small component there. It's rare. So, yeah. So the time to shoot after a make is almost kind of like a a lot of times an indicator of how your half-court offense is getting shots. Maybe not necessarily effectiveness, but how your half-court offense is getting shots. Whereas after a defensive rebound, then it's more about like how much are you pushing? How much are you running? Another big disparity team is Brooklyn, 14th after a make 6th after a miss but generally there's a uh, and and memphis is another one too second after a miss and 11th after a make. so there's a, a couple of components to this and, and i'm just i'm enjoying going down this rabbit hole here of, of number one it can be just generally how fast are you trying to play but you can try to play fast all you want but if you just can't get a good shot when the opponent is back and forces you into half court offense then you're gonna see that big difference like some other teams like san antonio hilariously like they're super fast after a make and after a miss and They're not particularly efficient at either Minnesota. So some of the Milwaukee is very fast regardless. So some of these teams are, are really fast at both others are The the ones who are faster, really fast in half court after a make and not as fast after a defensive rebound, that's another interesting one. So it's probably a a longer look that's worthwhile at that. But uh, all right, I guess we we could talk a little bit more Lakers here after that rabbit hole. And uh, Cooper asks, how would you fix the Lakers? And this will probably be an annoying answer, but either sell the team or just open up a real general manager search in which all players or uh, all candidates with ties to the LA Lakers that Genie Buss knows personally are ineligible and then go from there.
0: It's a good place to start.
1: <laughs> uh, but but here, I think obviously the biggest thing that they're missing is three and D capability on the wing and also just a point guard who actually fits next to LeBron. Now, maybe that could just be Austin Reeves and you could push both Schroeder and Westbrook into very limited roles or Westbrook would be involved in the trade most likely. But number one thing you need, particularly with ADP, playing so well at center is just more three and D capability. That's really been the case for this team, even back when they had Danny Green, who was kinda at the end of his effectiveness as a, a three and D player. And he's been the best guy that they've had and KCP was the other one. Those are the two guys and they of course traded both those guys away. <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. if they just had two guys like that, even though they those guys aren't, you know, Mikhail Bridges level of three and D players, that would just make everything run so much more smoothly with this group. And or maybe uh Kyle Kuzma, he's kind of turned into a three and D guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, uh move on here to the Grizz at 17 and 9 5 and 1 since we last checked in on them and ho-hum they just find a way to figure things out they're up to a 4.0 net rating now fifth in the NBA Jaron Jackson Jr. has come back he's looked really good he's been beasting inside a lot shooting the three better than he had last year they're ninth on offense now up to fourth on defense that's incredible when you consider the personnel that they've had available Danny right that these guys are fourth on defense this year and they project for For the one seed now... In the East, under Raptor, 54 wins. ELO likes them for 52. And 98% chance to the playoffs for Raptor, 95 for ELO. But both projection systems have them as the number one seed.
0: We got a series of different questions that ask a, a, a similar concept, which is, are the Grizzlies legit as a championship team, as a finals contender? And the answer to me is yes, they are. Yeah, of they,
1: course, of course, especially with how shitty the West is looking right now.
0: It, it, and the Grizzlies, you know, the, the basic, concept of of it is can can your offense succeed against high level competition can your defense succeed against high level competition i believe the answer can be yes now I will say this. I do not have the Grizzlies preliminarily as a kind of tier one inner circle championship contender, but I do have them in that kind of, but there aren't aren't that many teams there. I mean, you have the Celtics and the Bucks, and maybe, maybe the Warriors, depending on how many things they do, but then that next group, and you know, I mentioned if the Warriors aren't in it, then there are no Western Conference teams there. And... John Ritt is playing at a, you know, he's playing really well. He is a matchup problem for just about every team in the Western Conference. The defensive theory of the Grizz is there. Would I pick them, knowing what we know right now, in a series against the Celtics or the Bucs? I don't know for sure, but I would probably lean towards those Eastern Conference teams. But they absolutely can win the West. There is, To me, there is no real credil- credible argument against them being a legit team to win the West.
1: Yeah, they did get the news that Dustin Bain is going to miss three to four more weeks. Hope is that he will be like actually ready to go at the end of that time period rather than just another reevaluation but this will end up being close to two months for him by the end and he was playing so well too he was doing more pick and rolls it's really a shame that he's been out this long but hey I mean they're just they're winning games anyway there's no reason to rush him back this is the kind of chronic thing where if you don't really rest it for a good two months or so it's just gonna be something you'd be managing all year so with them doing quite well now I think they're are they second in the west now and the standings they're right up there all we care about is net rating we don't care about who actually wins the games
0: as her Medward says you play to win the net rating game <laughs> uh the grizzlies are second they're 17 and 9 they are one game behind the pelicans and they are one game ahead of the nuggets as we record this podcast
1: yeah suns uh have fallen off now down to the four seed at 16 and 11 sacramento kings are fifth so they've got john morant who I think is a problem in the playoffs. Uh, the Wolves did kind of shut him down a little bit, but uh, I thought Chris Vernon talked about this well on Zach Lowe's podcast late last week, that why was, say, Brandon Clark able to get all these offensive rebounds in that series or being able to go off in that series because they were putting two on the ball with Jot. Uh, now, I think that discounts a little bit what Anthony Edwards was able to do defensively against Ja, but still, I Anthony Edwards actually has defended Jot one-on-one probably about the best I've ever seen anyone do um you know we didn't get a chance to see Gary Payton try to guard him because he went out early in that series but I definitely think that they match up pretty well against the Warriors maybe not quite as well now that they don't have Anderson and Melton because those were guys who actually kind of messed with the Warriors a little bit uh, with their secondary rim protection but uh the Warriors also don't have Payton anymore you know I just I want to see what I think it really would be a crapshoot. Like I don't know how the Grizz would look in the Dallas. a Dallas series. Like Dallas has usually played the Grizz pretty well. Nikola Jokic usually kills Stephen Adams, so I don't know if that Denver matchup is great. But obviously Denver has no answers for Jaw either because they have no rim protection. So if Jaw gets to the basket, like he's just going to finish on them. You know, you got to you got to have great rim protection going up against Jha or He's just going to absolutely kill you. So and I think you know it's kind of trending towards the Grizz being the ones who have home court in some of these series, which I think is going to matter a lot. I like the Grizz pretty well against Phoenix clippers I just haven't proven that they're enough of a threat yet i don't like the clippers and they're just kind of old lack of athleticism going against memphis either they don't have anyone who can guard uh maybe you'd say terrence man would be the one who who could guard jaw so yeah i mean I, I think i would make them mild favorites in a lot of these series as we
0: think about it now Assuming and they would have that home court in almost all of them if not all of them too
1: yeah right exactly it's i think that would be a big part of it um Will Walker, what would you do about Dylan Brooks' contract situation as the Grizz?
0: It's not a good place to be, and Will brought up correctly that they're in bird rights trap territory. The Grizzlies committing to extensions with Steven Adams and Brandon Clark has functionally taken them out of the cap space. Derby. They could still make a trade in season to acquire somebody who could fill that role, but it seems less likely. I, th- It's hard to imagine Zach Kleiman finding a player who is better in that niche now with the with the resources that they have in season, especially than Dylan Brooks that, you know, that so so the way to solve it is you're probably going to have to resign him. Hopefully he doesn't get enough leverage with the other teams that have cap space to really put you over a barrel. But I don't see a you know, I, I you know, I have been a big believer that this was the opportunity for Memphis to go after a big swing, somebody who could be the second or third best player on an event on the next quarter. Great, truly great Grizzlies team, and they didn't do so. So that means they're they're kind of trapped. I thought Akbar was the Lakers. Well, and and that actually ties in with the question. I hadn't I hadn't articulated <laughs> this as a as a as an idea from Hippo Spray of did the Grizzlies make a mistake not going after Jeremy Grant and. I hadn't really thought about him as an option, in part because I usually think free agency and it was trade. But but yes, I mean, some of that depends on whether Jeremy Grant conceptually or you would have bet on him re-signing, because when you trade for a player on an expiring contract, you do that. But Memphis had the capacity, because remember, they had the choice of functioning over or under the cap, to do something similar in a different mechanism to what Portland did. And part of the reason the asset cost to the Portland Trailblazers in the Jeremy Grant trade was so low is because they didn't have Detroit didn't have to take on salary in that deal and Memphis could have done something similar if they wanted to
1: yeah of course that would have cost them some of the guys that they re-signed it with Tyus Jones being primary among those and The Grizz would say, hey, you know what? Like, we drafted Zaire Williams, number 10. We drafted David Roddy this year. Like, we're actually very pleased with the way he's been defending. And Santi Aldama, we believed in him. Like, he's a real player now. And so we didn't need to give up assets. Those are the picks that are going to allow us to continue to win games over the next five to seven years. Uh, so I think, yeah, I would love it if they had one more established 3 and D guy, one more score. They also would say, hey, Desmond Bain is now our our second best scorer. Like Desmond Bain is playing an all-star level before he went down. The biggest weakness for this team, you would say, is established 3 and D guys and that additional guy who can attack off the dribble. That's been the case Throughout the Jaw era, era really, but they've managed to overcome it and be pretty good. And they, I think, they feel that Jaron Jackson can also give them more as an offensive player. He's been doing that so far with his interior finishing and. So, I no, I'm not going to say that they screwed up uh, by not getting him. And I think there, if they really wanted to go all in, there would be an equivalent kind of player uh, that they could go for. On the Brooks thing, Danny, I want to talk about that just slightly more because he's just such a hard player to value. I think I value him more than you do. I think that's true. Um, And he has, in the on-off stuff, he didn't play hardly at all with Jot last year, but in the on-off stuff, he has really shown that he makes a big difference for them defensively. And I do think he is become one of the best on ball defenders in the NBA. And whether it was against Zion, Carl Anthony Towns, like he's actually started to be able to guard those kind of guys now. They've been putting him on those kind of guys. Or Shea Gilgis Alexander, he was been one of the best defenders a- against him this year in a couple of games where he kind of slowed him down where no one else has really been able to. Do that. and of course a lot of this takes place within the team concept as well. And he's such a nice fit with Jaron Jackson Jr. too because when he does get beat, it's due to over pressuring, but then he's got Jackson uh, behind him there at the rim as well. So I, I mean, to me, like I don't really see why he's not at least in the high teens. And yeah, I know he's crazy on offense, but you at least got to guard him some. And we'll see whether right. he can. Yeah, as Chris Vernon said, he's either got to shoot less or make more. That's that's a reasonable request, he's, certainly. It's
0: a reasonable request. It is not a request he has heated so far. <laughs> But, but yeah, I mean, I think bringing the focus on Dylan Brooks' defense is appropriate, and he has done a wonderful job. And there, you don't need to put any qualifiers, don't need to do anything else. Dylan Brooks has been a big help for them defensively. My concern about Brooks offensively is that both in terms of skill set and in terms of mentality, he's just such a terrible fit for a team that has lofty aspirations because he'll he'll just take those shots like it, it, and they it, it's not a circumstance now where it's like oh well when they get to that level he's going to do something differently because the Memphis Grizzlies were the two seed last year and I'm not going to get into all of this stuff with usage because there's so much complicated in terms of John Morant's injury and everything else but he was taking a ton of shots last year and so you I agree with the contention that it's hard to do much better than him especially considering the Fact of the matter that players as good as Dylan Brooks who play on the wing just aren't available in trades. So it is a bird rights trap, but it is a more tolerable one. And I will acknowledge that my concerns about his offense, like they aren't really going anywhere, but I agree with you on the defensive part of it a hundred percent. He's been great.
1: Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz. And we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And now Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Every sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. here on the program, that's twenty percent off your first order at american-giant.com Don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us. Let's get to the wolves here.
0: Let's do it. Minnesota Timberwolves. They're an even thirteen and thirteen, and an even three and three since the last fifteen and sixty. They are above water in terms of net rating. They are plus zero point three, which is fifteenth in the league. They are eighteenth in offense, thirteenth in defense, and. Raptor projects them to win 41, ELO 40, both of which are the 10 seed in the West. And each model gives them roughly a 45% chance of making the playoffs. And I'll, I'll mention, but as we get into the questions here, off the cuff, when we've done team specific ones, I'm not sure I've ever seen the specific word fix in more different questions than there are <laughs> in our questions on the Minnesota Timberwolves.
1: Yeah. And many of these questions, Red Fork Lawyer, Matt uh, Privatsky, The most esoteric bitch at the grocery store. That's actually this person's Twitter name. Just saying, hey, if the Twin Towers has failed... What do you do? How do you fix these guys? And I think moving Carl Anthony Towns to me is probably the play. If you make that determination, they will not do that. I don't think until at least one season has elapsed. And we'll see with Towns now out this four to six weeks with the calf issue. Perhaps there's a possibility that they can find a way of playing. They've had some nice wins. You know, they won in Utah. Maybe they can find a more Gobert centric way of playing. Part of why they've been playing so well is D'Angelo Russell. We'll talk. about that in a second in december so i i think that's that's what it is is trading carl anthony towns but w- what is his value and by the way i apologize that carl anthony towns i don't think we mentioned him enough or maybe even at all on the worst contracts spot. he definitely should have been on there and maybe wouldn't, wouldn't have been in the top five but definitely probably would have been in that five to ten range i would say for me because it doesn't even kick in until after next season at the 35 percent of the cap um also probably should have mentioned duncan robinson for I, sure I, should I, have been. Missed him. Gotten, gotten a few comments on that so apologies oh. wouldn't have been in the top five and but definitely someone who's uh pretty underwater in any event yeah carl town's trade value is that the knicks do you get as much for him as you got for trading away for gobert i guess obviously the answer to, to that lies in how good the minnesota timberwolves themselves are but just in terms of picks and, and pick swaps and all that Could it even be, Danny, that if the Hawks, and particularly at the end of this season, if it looks like the Hawks failed with their all-in trade, if it looks like the Wolves failed with their all-in trade, do such trades become subject to a bit more skepticism? And simply that lowers the price, particularly because there is so much sticker shock with the Gobert trade that that arguably even... Messed up the market for KD and and possibly Mitchell in the end as well. It looks like the Mitchell trade is going well for the Cavs. I think most people will say, will have declared that at least on track to be a success by uh, after the playoffs this year, because the Cavs are looking like a top four seed. So Carl Anthony Towns, he's particularly... Like they really have fucked Carl Towns' trade value by trading for Gobert. Number one, as almost an admission that he can't play center. And then number two, by making him look worse offensively because he's playing next to a center.
0: Yep. it's definitely a, a challenge for them. And I think Towns' perception around the league won't be too damaged by this, but it probably will be a little bit. And worth noting that Towns cannot be traded until the league year turns over. Basically, it's a year. I believe he signed his extension, his super max, pretty damn close to that. So basically you can't be it's it's a full year after you sign the sign the super max extension.
1: Yeah, that's an important bit of that you
0: can't be traded. So things could have shifted by that juncture. We don't, we don't quite know yet. And part of it is also that Gobert's value has gone down so much over this time that you can't recoup what you did for him. And the other kind of potential thing for the wolves, and I know this will be unpalatable to their fans. And this is kind of, this is the direction that I would actually lean in at the moment is you just kind of have to knuckle in for a little longer and just see if it works out because your Anthony Edwards is good enough the rest of the team that you can't fully like tank like, i don't think they're at that kind of a level they also have all, they have some salary obligations especially now with Gobert so getting you know like the the incentive of moving all the way down and the jazz are kind of running into this too is is to improve your draft pick but if you can't really do that and the assets that you can get in those moves but if the assets you're getting aren't that great if you can't move all the way down it's not as it's not as in, as palatable of a, of a path to go down. And so you might end up just holding a little bit longer. Where do you want to go from here? got a couple good wolves questions
1: dash Creesman, how sustainable do you think d'angelo russell's start to december is and the answer is un.
0: it, it is really is I mean, <laughs> edwards 24 27 russell. 28 russell. and 30 not in order points scored during this the, month D'Angelo but also russell. d'angelo russell yeah but also 55 you love
1: you, lo- you just love the last name edwards don't you just you can't I do. get enough to last
0: only name. well i was just talking about <laughs> anthony but um 55 uh, well, just, at least at least you, you
1: mistook him for a player who exists this time
0: <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) how dare you hey you didn't
1: you didn't laugh at my akbar joke a little bit ago you deserve it
0: fair enough um and, but D'Angelo, 55% from three. I think it's like 64% on twos during this little stretch, and both of those would be career high marks by a lot, by a long shot. And he has been playing with more confidence. But I mean, why? What? What would? What would the reasoning be for him to all of a sudden be this level of score? Yeah,
1: he certainly was below his career norms early, and I do think maybe there's something to the idea that because Towns is out, he's being featured more. He's been second on the team now in shot attempts the questioner said in december so four games in december uh, he's been you mentioned the stats there and he's been averaging 27 points in those four games taking 17 shots a game but yeah he's never been able to maintain a true shooting percentage anywhere above the league average i don't see what would have changed to cause that and also noteworthy he's only averaging 3.8 assists during this period now one interesting thing about the way they're playing has been that Kyle Anderson has been playing a lot more now in the absence of Towns in December 32 minutes and he's averaging 5.8 assists so they're running a lot more offense through him at the elbows he's been bringing the ball up a little bit more so they've been using some of his passing chops and to make up for the absence of towns so that's that's been useful i i think for them um all right that's probably enough on on the wolves a pretty good amount of time there who's up next the
0: oklahoma city thunder
1: 11 and 15 three and three since we last checked in on them. they righted the ship a, a little bit after some rough losses but they are 25th in the nba and net rating negative 2.6 yet another they're not crazily outperforming their point differential, but Mark Dagnault seems to have them in this position every year. 22nd on offense. I mean, that's Just again, given what we thought this team was going to be offensively before the season, that's a miracle. They had been on the wane defensively, but have had some better games lately. They're 19th on defense. They project for 30 wins per raptor, 34 per Elo, but that would be the 13th seed in the West, but you're gonna run into some of the East teams in terms of your lottery position. There they actually have a 14% chance to playoffs per ELO, only two percent per raptor. And Danny, I know you are champing at the bit for this first question.
0: I was actually gonna do a different one. We'll get we'll get to Mark Edwards. Later, (laughs) monster. But I want to do this one. I want to do this one from Poku Muse. Uh, How would you solve the roster crunch in OKC? And it. So I'm going to do this in kind of two different phases. So one of them is at what Poku was getting at is the opportunity for minutes this season. And so that is a real, ch- a real challenge. Like, okay, see, even with Chet Holmgren not playing at all this year, thankfully the hardware removal surgery sounds like it went well for him, but there's still near zero expectation, as there should be, for Chet Holmgren to play this season. They The Thunder in this weird place where they have not only a lot of players that they want to see, but you also want players like Kenrich Williams, who isn't de- developing, he's more developed, to make the to put those other players in chance to succeed, so that is a it is a challenge for Dagnall and and also Sam Presti because remember front offices matter for this too who you're playing and who you're not playing gets gets input let's put it that way but where I originally interpreted the question was actually the roster crunch that OKC is facing beyond this season because the Thunder have 15 players on roster and every single one of them has some sort of option or team control beyond this year. That is 10 players with fully guaranteed contracts, and then you have four, Wiggins, Joe, Robinson, Earl, and Muscal, with either a team option or a non-guarantee, and then Darius Baisley is is a restricted free agent. So you you take that 15 players, all of whom you have the ability to bring back, not that you necessarily want to bring back all of them, and then, oh yeah, the Oklahoma City Thunder could theoretically add free agents, and they have. Oh, I guess they only have one first-round pick this year, but they also do have, I think, two seconds. So that's a lot to a lot to manage too.
1: Yeah, and they also have the cap space and will probably be making an attempt at taking a step forward you would think after this season via free agency although they'll be in competition with orlando indiana houston certainly detroit possibly san antonio we'll see that a lot of teams that are, could be looking to take a step forward san antonio maybe not among them that will have space yeah and, and he mentioned jang i think the fact even that he's had a few decent games here it has been exciting I, I because just anyone who with his vague skill set is looking remotely competent, even at times, is exciting for a 19-year-old given his lack of experience. But my o- overall philosophy in these situations is just sink or swim and it just hey, it's not the end of the like. Oh, they got to consolidate their picks. And they've done that to some degree. They did that to get Jang, uh, obviously, to get the... Uh, give up the three future first to the next none of which are probably going to be as good as that one but still we're gonna say
0: well no that was that was exactly what it's not the worst thing in the world to cut other jalen williams he has two million guaranteed they have cap space if you need to do that i give credit to the houston rockets and a few other teams over the last couple years for being willing to do that you it's not that big a deal and also, like there is this myth of consolidation trades, and like I, I, as a point of clarification, like you're not you're not going to trade, you're definitely not going to trade four quarters for a dollar, but you're not even going to be able to trade three dimes for a quarter. Like that's that's not the way it works. You're going to sacrifice some real value in that. And in all honesty, one of the things that OKC fans are going to have to get ready for is losing some players that can help them or that they're excited about for nothing. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be Darius Baisley. I don't know for sure if that's going to be Darius Baisley, but some player of import to the Oklahoma City Thunder will be will be lost for no compensation, you know, not through a trade or something else. And that is a undesirable outcome for sure, but it is also kind of a necessary one when you consider the amount of resources that they have.
1: The history of these, I remember being a fan of the Bulls back in like 2003, and I was like, "Oh man, this is I think the summer before Jay Williams got hurt." And they're like, "Oh man, they got Jamal Crawford, and they got Jay Williams, and they got Tyson Chandler, they got Eddie Curry, and they, oh, they just drafted Marcus Pfizer too, and they uh, they used all these high picks, and, and man, they are just loaded. Like they got so much depth. And Eddie Robinson, they just signed him." And yes, that team is, was not exquisitely managed by any means. But I think the history, Danny, and, and now this Thunder team, may you may argue they are unique in history, of actually losing a player in restricted free agency who's good or having to cut a guy or trade a guy who's towards the end of his rookie scale deal because you feel like you have too many guys. Like, all these guys are just not going to be that great. Or maybe it'll be a low-end rotation guy. Like, if they, let's say they, like, is anybody really going to be like, oh, man, like, we lost Poku. Like, that's the end of the world. Like, yeah, he's done some nice things. Like, he's playing some center. It's He doesn't have a ton of bulk there. You still wonder, like, what his ultimate future is going to be. Like, these are guys who are getting tick on a team that's semi-competent. Or if they just traded Kendrick Williams to a contender for a second or something like that, like that's, that's, I think about as bad as it would get. And sure. in terms of the playing time this year, guys are going to get injured. Like the, that's just the nature of the 82 game NBA season. They've got plenty of playing time with the OKC blue as well. You, you've noted this KP noted this, that playing time at the NBA level is probably a little bit overrated in terms of what it means for development. Now, maybe it's more important for evaluation, but for development, it probably doesn't matter as much for guys very early on in their careers. So, I think it's it's all fine. Like, they're going to be tanking at some point. I don't know if he'll get shut down or whatever, but they definitely have guys miss time whenever they have the slightest bit of an injury. That's what you should be doing at this point. They can limit guys' minutes. So I think they're going to have enough time to evaluate all the guys in the team. And yeah, they have a decision point on Baisley and maybe a couple of other guys. And maybe they go into training camp next year and it's a competition and you end up having to cut a couple of guys. Maybe one of them even gets picked up off of waivers. But I would be very surprised if they ever let someone get away that they truly regret.
0: Truly regret is a, is a good threshold there. I, I've, I've called it the haunting test before of like, will, will it get there? And, and odds are it won't. And on the kind of like first round pick part coming to roost the bigger challenge year for that will actually be 24 in 24 OKC has their own pick Houston's unless it's top 4 the clippers pick and Utah's depending on protection and so adding that to this group might be a little bit more challenging but by that point they will they will have so much more information on a lot of these players that some of them pr- presumably will wash out or will do something different and so but I'm not going to worry about the roster construction in 2024 yet there's no reason to
1: yeah, and they'll always have the possibility of, even if it's not a consolidation trade, just kicking the can down the road in a similar deal to what they did with the pick that they got from the Chris Paul trade that then became Peyton Watson. They traded that to Denver. They took on the $7.5 million dead money from Jermichael Green, and now they actually have a chance at a juicier pick that's only top five protected in 2027. So those sorts of deals will generally be out there for you as well. Let's take... Um-
0: Let's Porter. do. I'll do this. I'll do this one for Mark Williams. Jalen Williams is looking like a steal for Thunder. I agree with that. Um, and again, the questioner was Mark Edwards. It's, I'm saying Mark Williams because <laughs> that's the way these things work. And um, but basically, the question is: um, Is he a part of the uh, like an anchor piece of the Thunder rebuild? and I like to think of young cores as as an inner circle and an outer circle. And so the inner circle is like the no questions asked, like you could think about John Morant or somebody like that. And I think for the Thunder that as of right now, that's only Shea. And then there's an outer circle that includes Chet. Depending on health, he could move inner circle, but we don't know yet. So he has to be outer. And I would say that Jalen Williams is there too. And he's a very good player. He fits in. He, he I think he will be a part of successful teams in his future, whether that occurs in Oklahoma City or elsewhere. And with Williams his complementary kind of offensive game, I think works really well. Like you can you could do that. I, I would love for and he has a good enough jumper that you can you can make him work in that. And then if you want Williams to be on Baltimore whether that's in a second unit or opportunistically as a starter, sure, you can make it happen. But he's not inner inner circle yet. I mean, Williams hasn't established himself as an unquestioned NBA starter that kind of player yet.
1: No, and Mark notes that he thinks that Jalen should be above Giddy in the pecking order. I agree. I don't know that the organization or most people would see it that way necessarily, but I, I do think that uh, Jalen Williams' upside and I mean, that 7 2 wingspan is pretty crazy. I think he's going to figure it out as a shooter. He's been running some pick and roll, shooting 60% from two, passable defensively, although he's not just like unbelievable getting into a stance and sliding, but I think he'll be totally fine there and he's got pretty good bounce off it too i haven't really seen anything to not like about him so far and i really was a big fan of his after summer league also and quickly here from t calm is it worth okc taking the six best odds at this point or should they just play it out for the eighth best odds and as we look at some of the projections now and just the standings. You've got Spurs, Rockets, Magic, Hornets, Pistons that have separated themselves. None of those teams have more than eight wins. And then you go up to Thunder, Lakers, Wizards, Bulls with 11 wins after that. So it seems like the six best odds could very much be within reach because all of these other teams above them are going to be trying pretty hard. And I think the Thunder are going to try hard too, but I just don't, I don't think they're quite as good as these teams and they are going to be very judicious with injuries. The one thing that might complicate their tanking efforts and Joe Masato pointed this out when he came on before the season from the Oklahoman is if Shea is like going for all NBA like he's gonna make the all-star team you would think this year unless something crazy happens and if he's going for all NBA you'd think he's probably not to be too interested in being shut down but and so maybe they don't get into tank mode until even the last two weeks of the season or something and I mean, maybe they could try to just play for your veterans or they shut down a Dort or something like that. But there isn't really that many players they can shut down. Like these young guys are just playing well enough to be interesting but i i think if i had to handicap it now danny they're probably still the favorite for the six best lottery odds and that's that's like good enough i i don't think that i would be trying to and i don't think you can frankly beat the magic hornets pistons spurs or rockets maybe the the magic could go on a little bit of a run here but we found out Cade's having the surgery now today for the pistons who have the worst winning percentage of the nba already so yeah do you have any thoughts on that i i think you know six to eight range just with the new odds, is probably good enough to where you don't want to like really shut it down. Now, maybe Shea just gets hurt and then it does it for you.
0: That is a potential consideration. Roughly speaking, so since T call masked it in terms of six versus eight, it's roughly a ten percent. So eight, the eighth spot has roughly a ten percent lower chance so it's 26 versus 37 of finishing in the top four and if you want to look at it tankathon has this in terms of average pick position at the the sixth best odds your average pick position is 5.5 and at the eighth spot it's seven so that that is a difference but it's not immense and you're you're already outside of the group that has the you know the even odds in it like uh, the even top one through three and you make your players happy. You, you, especially Shea. You, you give it a try. And as you said, like they, if it's the young players that are playing well, then you want to keep working with that. And maybe you assess it differently in like late February or early March. You see where things are, and it, it you know, Orlando's won a couple extra games. The Hornets have figured things out a little bit because Lamelo's back, and they're doing things that maybe there's a little bit more ability to slide. If it's the choice between the eighth best lottery odds and the fourth best lottery. Explore more stories like Shana's at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
1: and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style level up your game with indochino go to indochino.com use the code cap space our cap we talk about all the time here on the program to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more that's 10% off at indochino, I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O indochino.com and don't forget that cap space code to let them know that you came from us blazers what are their fundamentals
0: Portland is 14 and 2, also 3 and 3 since the last For, 15 and 14 16. and 12. 14. Sorry, 14 and 12. 14 and 2 would be real good. Um, 14 and 12, 3 and 3 since the last 15 60. N- slightly negative net rating, negative 0.7 is 18th in the NBA. They are 11th in offense and down to 25th in defense. Remember when we were in more enthusiastically positive about their defense early in the year? Raptor projects them to finish 41 and 41, which would be 11th. Elo, 37 and 45, which is also 11th. And Raptor gives them a 42% chance of making the playoffs and ELO 26% chance. Question, I, I think we could start here from Red Menace. Is there a move out there for the Blazers to enter the top six discussion in the West, can they reasonably stay out of the play-in? And I think it's worth taking a beat to think about where that line might be. And not that I'm saying 538's projections are golden, but where the the, the top six teams kind of as things have been so far, the Grizzlies, the Pelicans, the Nuggets, the Suns, the Warriors, the Mavericks, Like I think there's a reason to believe that all of them will be credible if they can stay moderately healthy. And so right now, the Raptor projection for those six teams is the lowest of those is the Dallas Mavericks at 46 wins. And 46 and 36 seems like a reasonable proxy for where to go there. The Blazers are slightly above 500 now, so even though they're still well over half the season, I mean we got uh, we're 20. The Blazers are 26 games in. That's still a pretty high mark to try to get to 10 games over 500 or thereabouts. So to me, the the most likely way that the Blazers could do that is actually, I mean they can improve their roster, but being healthy and being healthier than those than at least one or two of those six teams. Is really the path forward, but I don't think they're good enough as things stand. I, I don't know that there's a, like a trade, especially considering their limited resources. Yeah, Dame has come back he's had
1: some big games i think we're as long as he stays healthy i think we're feeling pretty good about him being a reasonable facsimile of what we've seen from dame lillard the the last few years and with lillard on the floor 5.2 net rating not bad right yeah so if you can negative 4.2 when he's off and 118 offensive rating when damian lillard is on the floor that's right up there top of the league type of levels where they always are it's just that he he's only played a about a third of their minutes so far this season. So he stays healthy. I, I think they're, you know, kind of a little bit over 500. Yeah, you know, I, I think that they're on that path. And yeah, falling off to down to 25th in defense, that, that's a big concern. And, Unlike in past years, it hasn't been well when Nurkic is on, the defense is fine, and when he's off, it, it collapses. They're actually better when he is off the floor. And we'd have to dive into the shooting luck there a little bit more. The, their best defensive lineups have actually been the non center lineups. But, and Gary Payton, the second there's talk, he could come back around the middle of November. It's now the middle of December. He hasn't come back yet either, but maybe he can make a difference there for them a little bit, at least help them force some more turnovers. And yeah, I think these guys, if they're the question is going to become, do they ascend into that top five offense type of level right now? Cause they're only 11th overall, but that's cause they're only a one Oh nine with Dame off the floor, which is about what you would expect. Right, They're very much built around him. It's Anthony Simons and Jeremy Grant has had a few good games, but he's mostly a play finisher. And then they don't have much else to offensively, so, they're very dependent on Dame. He's still really good. And I think he's really good enough to at least get them uh, maybe around the fringes of that top six. It's also, there'll be injuries, right? Like, not all of the teams above them are going to make it there unscathed. Now, the Blazers might face that too, but it's not really much fun talking about them, you know, if they suffer major injuries. So, if healthy, yeah, I would give them a... Let's see here. Don't need to do an official Wat vote, but I still like them a little bit better than Sacramento. The Clippers, who knows what the hell's going on with them. I probably like them better than the Jazz. Mavs have struggled some too. I, I mean, I would say my top five is probably Pels, Grizz, Nuggets, Suns, Warriors. And then it's going to be quite the fight for six after that. But I think the Blazers, as it stands now, I won't say they have quite as good a chance as anyone of that, but maybe their second or third best chance of anyone. So I'd call it, give them like maybe
0: a 25% chance getting a top six seed. Is there a move that they could make that would significantly improve those odds
1: oh well they're still out the pick this year that complicates things and you know they're not a lock to make the playoffs either so it's not like you can just say hey we'll trade you our 2025 first and the 23 is obviously going to go
0: and and the blazers also in terms of a trade like that they they don't exactly have the most matching salary in the world because presumably they're keeping Lillard, Simons, and Grant and probably either Hart, Nurkic, or both in that deal. So it's... It's more of a modest move in all likelihood. Yeah, someone to just get a little bit
1: more size at the three. But that that would be a major move to get someone to be an upgrade uh, on Josh Hart there. And they're just, they're so small again. And Josh Hart isn't shooting it well enough to really play the two at this point. But I'm interested to see what happens. Like maybe that player is just Gary Payton the second. I want to see whether he can have an Alex Caruso-like effect on this team. The answer to me is probably not. But can he play twenty five minutes a game and really transform this defense, but then what do they do with his lack of shooting as well?
0: Well and and the other big question that I have with Gary Payton second, as big of a fan of a player uh, of him as a player as I am, is you brought up Alex Crusoe. Is there a path that Chauncey Phillips has for him closing games? Is, or it basically are Lillard and Simons set in stone? Because if it's Lillard Simons and Gary Payton, you're just too damn small. Like that's just, it seems against most teams you pull it off, maybe get some. And if if, if Peyton can close some games over simon's it might be it might be interesting a little bit but simon's is close he's had some big closes to games too of course
1: okay let's see here let's do a quick lightning round Barclay asks, since there's such an emphasis on three-pointers getting to the paint, why is it that you still often see rookies like Shaden Sharp t- take so many long two-point jump shots? Bad coaching there's to phase all new players just go through. The NBA three-point line is really fucking far. It's it is. really far. E- even for guys now with the NCAA being a little bit longer, but Sharp didn't play NCAA last year and... Also worth noting that a lot of guys just have the ball in their hands and that requires taking more long two point jump shots particularly for someone like Sharp. The one guy who actually just started shooting threes immediately and didn't shoot that many long twos was Anthony Edwards, but I know I do think most guys if they are going to be a scorer kind of go through that phase. A little bit and that's that's not the end of the world it would just be you but at some point you get to where hey you're either gonna shoot 45 percent or better on those or you need to just shoot threes but for a guy who's going to try to create some on ball and sharp is doesn't have that great of a handle isn't really gonna play in pick and roll because he's not a passer at this stage in his development so if you want to give him any license to not just be a guy who's shooting spot up threes that's kind of what you have to let him do
0: yeah, I agree with that. Um, I, I can kind of tackle both of these in some more in some ways from Jason and from Joshua, basically asking about trading future trading future centric players like Simons and Sharp for talent upgrades like Jason brought up OG and Durant. And that's not enough to get Kevin Durant. Like, you're not... Anthony Simons and a first-round pick or two and maybe even Shane Sharp. Like, I I don't think the Nets have much interest in that because that fundamentally changes who the Nets are. And Joshua brought it up in terms of elite frontcourt two-way play. That's not harder to get than Kevin Durant, but it is probably as hard or maybe even harder, depending on the player, for OG and Anobi. And... It's the challenge of being where the Blazers are is that if you're if you want to be a consistently competitive team, they have Lillard, they're great there. But the the things that they need in order to get to that, like winning a couple of series kind of level, like to do it, be be one of the three best teams in your conference, actual best teams is you actually need those guys like Simons and Sharp to hit and ideally to hit soon. You're not going to be able to trade for those type players because they're not on the market. This
1: might sound crazy for someone who is higher on Sharp than anyone, at least at the time of the draft. I'm actually probably, the consensus has probably gone up while well, my feeling on him has gone down a little bit, particularly with the way that Paolo Bancaro has played. But I would absolutely trade Jaden Sharp in a package for Kevin Durant. And Well, yeah,
0: I mean, I might, I'm saying, I, I'm saying I might the Nets consider wouldn't take it.
1: And I might consider putting Anthony Simons in that deal. Um, Depending on what you get back from Brooklyn, you probably want to get some of their role players back. And then the matching salary becomes difficult too. You might even need to have like Yusuf Nurkic in that deal and get back Nick Claxon or something to equalize things out a little bit more. But Sharp, the reason that he, like there is a very good possibility that this moment right now is the highest his trade value will ever be. Part of the reason that trade value is high is because there is a very high-end outcome for him but it's also the likelihood is that you get further in and it becomes clear that he's going to be a solid player but but maybe not one who's going to be a a player with star upside and that could be kind of clear as soon as like the end of this season or by next year's trade deadline. So I certainly would, he wouldn't be a totally sacred cow to me, because you have Dame Lillard on this team. If you could pair him with Kevin Durant, particularly given how wide open the West is right now too, there, there is something to be said for that. Like I, as good as the Pels and the Grizz have played, they're not terrifying me right now. The Clippers are looking like a paper tiger at this point. That could change. The Nuggets are, they're very good, but no, I don't think anyone's going into a playoff series against that defense feeling like they're unbeatable. Warriors, maybe they'll get back to looking like that, but they're not there right now. Um, let's see, one more here. Uh, Glenn Simonson, Chauncey has grown on me. He likes his willingness to play younger players and the way that they've integrated Jeremy Grant. Do we feel better about Shea's pick here? He still thinks they should have hired D'Antoni, which maybe would have made a little bit more sense. Uh, but I mean, clearly, everyone really likes Chauncey Billups in the organization I think that was a big part of why they hired him to begin with and Lamar Hurd who's, who spends a lot of time around the team and yes he is team employed so he's going to say this but he on Zach Lowe's podcast he noted that the younger players are, are really you know, pay rapt attention to him and that he has a good relationship with players so that's in today's day and age that might even be number one as your job as a head coach and um, Some of the defensive stuff, like part of what he was brought in to do was to get a little bit more aggressive of a style than Terry Stotts. This has never been a team that's had great defensive personnel. So I I think some of the stuff he was doing early last year when they were trying to win was a little bit weird, but I don't think they're really below where they should be given their talent level right now. I don't think there's much evidence that he's a guy who's just way better than your average coach that he's really pushing this team beyond what its talent level is particularly on defense but i think he's hasn't been a i wouldn't say he's a bad hire he seems about fine i'll, I'll have to john i'll do our coach rankings probably in a couple of months uh, and see where he ends up i i would probably have him in the bottom half of the league but not like bottom tier or anything like that
0: one thing i'll note and i i attribute this more to personnel than chauncey billups but portland right now defensively they are last in the nba in opponent location effective field goal Hmm. percentage and so that they're giving up a lot of corner threes they're giving up the second most shots around the basket 38.1 percent of opponent opponent shots and yes personnel is a big part of that but i like to look at are, is a team getting shots in the right places is a team putting opponents you know that was the old kenny Atkinson thing of how the how the nets were able to kind of outperform their talent level and and portland is very good in offensive location effective field goal percentage but they also have Damian Lillard, so i'm not going to be as i'm not going to give as much of the praise to the coach there because they have a really really good player even though he's missed a significant portion of the season so that's something we're keeping an eye on I'm not saying Phillips is bad or anything like that but those sort of basic ideas of are you are you playing to your strengths are you outperforming your talent level i'm not as effusive though a lot of coaching is things that aren't necessarily that and if the players care about them and they're paying attention that's a really really big positive
1: the sacramento kings are 14 and 11 four and three since we last checked in on them ninth in net rating in the nba 2.4 seventh on offense that's fallen off just a bit but a sterling 17th on defense Uh, some of their shooting fundamentals said that they would improve there that opponents had been scorching hot unsustainably and that in fact uh, has come to fruition and to get again 17th in defense out of this roster for Mike Brown if they finish the year there he will be firmly in the coach of the year conversation Raptor and Elo both like him for the 8th seed 42 and 45 wins respectively 50% chance to the playoffs for Raptor 69% Elo and let's start here from B Ballins please tell us in 3 minutes why the Kings are so good and Sabonis is perfect with them. Ben Taylor did a, a great video on their offense and how they're blending elements of Jokic ball and Golden State ball using Sabonis as that hub doing a, lo- a lot of improvisation involving Herder off the ball and Sabonis isn't perfect because it'd be nice if he could shoot a little better than he does but on offense yeah he's really good great offensive center always has been but if you really want to truly make noise you can't do it with him as your defensive center So that's there. There you go. He's not perfect for them. He's 50% perfect for them.
0: But that 50% is important. And yeah. And and
1: by the way, if he truly were perfect for them and he was good on defense and this on offense, then, you know, he would be a. A uh, top 15 player in the NBA, probably.
0: Yeah, he would be. And even, I mean, they're there offensively imperfect, they're defensively imperfect centers that have even gotten higher than that in our top players' rankings. But Sabonis, I, I really appreciate the way that he helps make their offense work, and it has made De'Aaron Fox's life easier. And the Kings, we've brought this up previously, have so much shooting around their. Key players now that it it makes a lot of this work really well. They've they're the Kings are getting to the line a lot in bonuses minutes. They're of course shooting the ever loving crap out of the ball. But they aren't, you know. Like so, they're they've been defending. It's funny. I brought this up with with Jokic before in the past. Like they're defending a little bit above average when Demontis Bonus is on the floor, and that is with pretty much even not anything particular opponent shooting luck there. And he's been a he's been a very good player for them. And I'm thrilled for the King's success. They have they have been one of the brightest spots in the league right now, and Sabonis has been an important part of that.
1: And Ben says, where would you rank Sabonis among NBA centers? Do you currently have the best case for all NBA third team at center? Uh,
0: he might have a credible argument for fourth.
1: So our center rankings, we had him lower than a lot of people would have last year. I had him at 18th, in part because... I just don't value what he does as much. And we what we value here, number one, is being on a championship-level team. And it's just really, really difficult. I and mean, Nikola Jokic even, I think, has this problem. And Nikola Jokic is among the best. He might even be the best offensive center of all time. <laughs> like, he is, I mean, probably not relative. Kareem would probably be the guy because he was just a weapon that the league didn't have at that time, back when everything was less efficient and everything was two-point focus but you know certainly a top five offense center ever and I would say Jokic and Sabonis are probably pretty equal I would say defensively Sabonis a little quicker Jokic just got a little more length a little better rebounder though Sabonis is good there too uh Jokic has better hands as a playmaker probably a little bit better instincts when he's actually locked in but that's why I would have I mean I bam out of bio like I think, even during this season, clearly above him. And now, if we're talking about just a regular season award, and you want to say, yeah, he's pushing them to be a, like, okay playoff team, he's part of pushing them from 35 wins to 43 wins... It's just that those eight wins, I don't value those eight wins as much as I value the eight wins to get from 43 to 51. And I just don't think because of his defensive limitations, Sabonis can't push you to 51 wins unless you're maybe the number one offense and, you know, you could be average on defense. Maybe that's the only way you get there. Now, of course, the Kings win 51 this year, which wouldn't be totally insane for them to be able to do that but uh particularly as things get tanktastic the rest of the year so yeah i still again when i am talking about all nba maybe and what they're doing this season as opposed to where i would rank them in terms of who i want to have in my team if i'm trying to have and really win a championship you know maybe those are two slightly different inquiries but no he wouldn't be in my top i mean i think if you're going through centers i would rather have miles turner i'd rather have probably deandre and i'd rather have evan mobley i'd rather have jared Allen. i'd rather have robert williams rather brook lopez and then maybe after that if porzingis i'd probably rather have that that's a questionable one because porzingis is a little he's probably a better regular season defensive player but he's a little mobile so you know he still is gonna be i'm sure he'll piss people off yet again when he's not in the top 10 in my center rankings but it's just the, well and, the same point now we can
0: make it to sacramento fans instead of
1: pacers fans
0: and i will note when i said the thing about fourth i think you can make an argument that so far this season sabonis has been the fourth best center a it's all of a regular season sample and but the margin between him and third place is pretty extreme you know like jokic davis and Embiid are at a completely different level and so there is not a credible argument so far that that he that sabonis has been better than any of those three gentlemen so there is not a credible argument that he can be an all nba third team center maybe the questioner didn't think of anthony davis's center but he's playing basically entirely at the five this year so he's a seven, unfortunately for sacramento i guess
1: yeah i'd say sabonis is a little bit better than bam offensively but bam is also in the defensive player of the year conversation sure. to me and a couple other ones we'll do quickly here robert said kings are a lot of fun to watch i think there's a path to true championship contention with this roster that doesn't involve getting some crazy stud in the middle of the draft and i would say no there isn't just because i don't know how they get good enough on defense and uh what does sacramento need to be a legitimate playoff team isn't a six seed type team you don't want to mess around with i mean maybe if they got an og and an ob level defender but you're still you've got fox you've got herder you've got Malik Monk is going to be in the rotation. Harrison Barnes and Keegan Murray are at best average. they got below average defensive centers. The Metu Lyles thing has been working, but they're that's not a great defensive pairing. So yeah, you got to just be. They'd either have to be like Denver level of offense, and they just don't have a superstar who's that good that could push them to that level. Also, I will note that Deer and Fox's shooting seems very unsustainable to me so far this season, particularly what he's doing on long twos. So that's another thing to watch. Like he, he's been, he's played it close to an all NBA level so far, but you wonder how sustainable that is with the jump shooting. Uh, and then true stream says Sabonis is an all-star say it. Well, it, I usually don't like to go through that analysis until like right at the time because I just don't want to be anchored by where I was before so I, I think he'll he probably wouldn't make it though for me I, I would think of it really more as uh Fox being their their all-star but I would have to see who else he's yeah. going up against but there's
0: there's no yeah. point in declaring anybody now it's still so far from them like the the all-star game isn't isn't even like a full season and we still have we're 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 closer to the start of the season than we are to the all-star break I believe. Leave at this moment in time so
1: yeah but, but Gobert the t- struggles of Gobert and Towns, maybe open up a spot for him
0: they definitely could and it's not like somebody like Jakob Pertl has taken necessarily a huge step forward so that'll <laughs> that'll that'll be there as well and speaking of Jakob Pertl and the San Antonio Spurs well no we are... didn't get we didn't
1: get any questions on the Spurs like a, like I said so we're just gonna okay no actually hilariously we got five six we have six questions on the Spurs actually I don't know if we're even gonna get to all of them we got another day of NBA action. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. from You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. just Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred Gambler.
0: The San Antonio Spurs are 8 and 18 on the season, 2 and 3 since the last 15 and 60. They are still 30th in net rating, negative 10.6 per hundred possessions, 20th in offense, dead last in defense. And Raptor projects them to win 25 games, which is 14th in the West. Elo projects them to win 26, which is also 14th in the West. And they do not have much of a chance of making the playoffs.
1: It doesn't appear so. Uh, Duncan Manu, a, a frequent foil on Twitter uh, over the years. Would you mind ripping less into the Spurs? We have a team designed to tank. We're hurt. He mentions a bunch of guys being injured. And... He has another question too, which we'll get to, but I mean, it's just, that's what's happening with the team. We talk about all 30 teams when that's what's happening. It's hard to ignore it. Uh, You can only talk about a team's future so much. You do need to say what they're actually doing on the floor, particularly at this point in the year when, I mean, a lot of people don't realize that they're not keeping up with the Spurs. It's just like, yeah, hey, you know, the Spurs are kind of run of the mill bad. Like, no, they've, it, when a team goes on a historically bad circumstance, it, it's not, I actually moved them up in my organization rankings this year because they made the decision to tank. I don't have a problem with what the organization is doing, but part of the point of this podcast is to tell people what's going on in the league right now. People who, may not be following the spurs that much and if they're having a historically bad run of games over a month period that's it's going to get talked about that's just how this works uh but he tries to move the conversation a little bit more positively here talking about DeJounte White, Kelton Johnson, Devin Vassell, and Jeremy Sohan where would they go in a redraft and obviously those have been pretty good picks for them let's just do the last two here Vassell and Sohan real quickly we don't have to say specifically but just kind of quick ranges Danny of where those guys would have gone in uh, I guess it's 2020 and 2022.
0: So Sohan to me, I I like what he's done defensively, but he still does show a very limited offensive game. He went ninth. I think he would actually maybe go down a little bit for me. Not I mean, I like Sohan, but because some of the other guys that were drafted after him, most notably Jalen Williams, would would potentially move up. I've also really liked a, like Dyson Daniels, who I was a little bit lower on in the draft process has looked a lot better than he looked on film to me. So, so that has happened with him. So I, yeah, that,
1: that's a tough one. Is there anyone? Yeah. So I, like, I, I liked what I saw from Sohan early when they actually were winning some games and now, you know, he's been in and out of the lineup as well. Like, I think he's going to be a good player and a good defensive player for a long time, but yeah, it's tough to say that I would move him ahead of anyone above him. I right now at least at this one and I think that's not to say that he won't be better than any of those players there always are going to be changes doing a redraft even at this point would be difficult to to get it right I mean it's hard to do it 3 years out to get it perfectly I mean if you look at, like the 2009 draft how many times has that flipped around for example but if i had to pick it right now yeah jalen williams would be ahead of him anyone else lower who would be candidates there i don't think usman jang has shown enough yet duran i don't think is shown enough yet because especially with sohan being more versatile and then you know walker kessler is old enough i don't think i would go there with him tari eason is an interesting one i think i kind of like sohan is a little bit better of a eason type of player with a little more size and he's younger aj griffin andrew nemhart those are. are probably the only other players who've really shown a ton that were drafted behind him. So probably probably 10th, I guess, with Jalen Williams being the only one I would say for sure above him. Does that sound good to you?
0: Yes, that does sound good to me. And and you can, will this will inevitably move over the next little while. For Vassell, he was drafted 11th in 2020. It has happened that a lot of the players drafted above him have failed to live up to expectations. James Wiseman, Patrick Williams, Isaac Okoro, Akangwu, Killian Hayes, Obi Toppin. You can make an argument with Obdia and then Jalen Smith is complicated because he's, he's doing better now, but he got his option declined and everything else. Of course, there are players below him, below Vassell, including Tyrese Halberton, who have done very well, Tyrese Maxey, too. So my inclination is that Vassell would probably move up, but not move up incredibly high my best indicate like the thing I, I've I been a Devin Vassell believer for a while but I don't think he has a ton of positional versatility I think of him as a more of a two defensively not really that he's not I don't think he's big and strong enough to really defend threes and I don't like his lateral mobility enough to defend ones personally
1: yeah he, so, he's a, a more of a, a solid like nail guy than a one-on-one yes, one guy to me
0: for sure and so with Vassell guy who can credibly shoot he's drilling his threes this year hopefully that can continue for 41% on eight per 36 minutes is fantastic and gotten better finishing. That's part of why this has been Vassell's best efficiency season so far. And he's only 22. So we expect that to continue. So I would say, you know, and obviously this is still very preliminary. He would move up, but he wouldn't move up into like the top five for me in that class. Carl
1: asks, uh, has Zach Collins been good enough that you would guarantee him for next year? I think I would, particularly given the situation the Spurs are in where even with him guaranteed and even with jacob pertles cap hold they would have 40 million in space It kind of feels like we're heading towards portal not being on this team next year so although they might be in a situation where nobody else wants to pay him and they just pay him to keep him around and then maybe and move him later
0: some of some of that speculation about how much the spurs are asking for in a portal trade makes it seem to me like he will be on the spurs after this after the deadline and potentially after this season but what's we'll
1: and Pertle is also having a year that is uh, well below right. his normal but, standards. 8% shooting a lot at oof. the rim this year.
0: Yeah, and he and Pertle has been pretty consistently one of the better deterrent like or like rim protect field goal against guys over the last few years. And on the Collins front, 7.7 million is what the non-guarantee amount is for him. That's in normal circumstances as we're getting into kind of the new math here. That's third fourth big money and Zach Collins is a I think of him more as a I like him more as a fourth big than a third big but it's not like San Antonio is that space is gonna get them the player who's gonna slot all these things in to make sense so I think that it's it's worth doing that and then you retain you know you can have bird rights and see where the season goes and everything else like that it does it is notably an early guarantee date it's one day after the draft so maybe if they end up getting getting a big that they really like. Maybe the vision is Keldon Johnson as a straight four moving forward. You could potentially decline it, but I I think you just keep him around.
1: Yeah, and that would be movable if you ever had something you truly needed to do. It's also their books are open up that they could just stretch him if they had to. And and Collins in in limited minutes, he's played about two thirds of the season, is allowing only 48% shooting at the rim. Like he can be a, a capable rim protector. On the offensive end, he actually hasn't been making his 3 pointers. he's taken 34 of his shots out there making 30 that's always been the biggest thing where if he this is age 25 season and we've seen bigs develop their shooting later on in their career so i think he's a capable rim protector and finishes around the room okay offensive rebounds around the room okay if he could space it out to three then he becomes a really valuable player but yeah he's fine at backup center it's fine fine money and quickly here books 31 what do you think of some of the non-starter spurs players like Romeo at length, He's played well enough to earn a second chance to be a contract and um, this is something that i learned watching the 2020 warriors when the team is this bad it's just impossible to know i think I, maybe not impossible but for guys oh this guy's getting rotation minutes he hasn't looked half bad and, and, and but you just it's hard to know what that really means. Right. Like Glenn Robinson the basically never played again in the NBA. Pascal. Yeah. Or or an Eric Pascal where it's just, God, we need anybody who's a body right now. I think Lankford has good defensive potential. And I don't think he's ever going to be someone that you're going to give the ball to. And he's still shooting 23% from downtown. And he's done that on only 2.7 three-point attempts per 36 minutes. So he's clearly not comfortable taking the three, not making it. He's not going to be a primary offensive player. I mean, you want to bring him back for three million a year or something sure what why not but it, it doesn't if that's just let them develop in your culture you think you can teach them how to shoot anglin's not there anymore but i'm sure they feel like they can still teach guys how to shoot and let's do one more here we got a couple here on on the purple situation maybe we can elaborate on that so
0: so jake asked how do you believe this should handle the portal situation was the best realistic return and this idea that san antonio could get Two first-round picks, even if they're shitty first-round picks, for Yaka Purtle is more than ambitious. I think it's on the. I think it's on the realm of like that, blatantly unrealistic to me. Because the team that is trading for Yaka Purtle is getting him for the rest of this year, and then they're getting his bird rights. And he's an unrestricted free agent. Even if they, he's like, yeah, I definitely want to come back. Like that's valuable, but it's not a ton of surplus there. So you're not. What are you giving up those first four? And Purtle hasn't played at a at an elite level so far this year. So the idea that you're getting that so the evaluation is actually more for me san antonio internally it's would you rather have let's call it a single late first and maybe a player of low end interest so like a player with more rotation potential than starter potential would you rather have that or Jakob Purtle? and if pertle is amenable to coming back which it kind of sounds like he is and between those two I've been more of a Pirtle believer overall. And if you think you can get him at a reasonable contract, I would probably do it unless the pick has more juicy upside than I would expect. You know, like maybe it's a team that you think could actually miss the playoffs and they're willing to only top four protect it rather than lottery. Like in a circumstance like that, maybe I would do it for a single first. But outside of that, I really like Akapirtle. I think he's a good player. And I think as young as the Spurs are and intend to be, unless you get Victor Wempanyama, I think he can really help where this team is going.
1: Yeah, there could also be sign-and-trade possibilities open
0: yeah.
1: as well to them. because it, Or
0: sign-and-eventually-trade. Like, sign both yeah. both are viable.
1: Yeah, I wonder what they're... It doesn't seem like the plan is to suddenly be good next year. So if you could get a 2023 first for him, I think I would do it at this point in time. Even if his value is probably lower than it could have been if they had traded him in the offseason. And maybe maybe they felt like they were looking for more than a... a just a, a late first for him and we've seen guys trade values in this range miles turn would be another one be maybe difficult to value because center is a position where there are a lot of bodies and you're probably portal you're probably not going to close games with him on a playoff team necessarily uh okay let's get to the utah jazz here 15 and 14 three and four since we last checked in on them 0.9 net rating is 14th they are still a robust fourth on offense but have cratered to 26th on defense and tough to pin that on Mike Conley being out but Raptor likes him for the seventh seed 43 wins Elo says seventh seed as well 42 wins and got slightly above 50% chance of making the playoffs in both projection systems and I have a question. Lots of jazz on. questions. Yeah, let's go.
0: Yeah, let's do this. Let's do this one from from Jacob Perazzo. Um, he's enjoying the season as a jazz fan, as you should be. It's been a, a very fun year to be a jazz fan. Which three to four players on Utah's roster can you see being on the team in five years? And markinen has been playing very well for them. He will, of course, have had free agency or an extension by that point. But Mark, the ones that come to mind for me, Markkanen, Jared Vanderbilt, Walker Kessler are probably the top three in some order. And then there are lot of other players that could i mean a sleeper with that is akbaji if he can figure things out like he hasn't been a huge part of what the jazz have done so far but he could potentially do it and then like that's a long time for some of the vets to stay around so i'm gonna go with my number four i'm actually gonna go with akbaji
1: yeah i don't think i have any arguments with that one
0: i am i am not firmly on the tail horton tuckers right now we'll mention that right now we'll get probably get into that in the future 15 and 60
1: yeah he's better than Abaji. I mean, Abaji hasn't been playing obviously and uh, i mean i think horton is horton tunger younger than him still
0: (laughs) it's probably close
1: actually but uh, Horton Tucker is just such a weird fit and his three-point shooting hasn't really been that much better he's a guy who can get some reps on the ball on a bad team and maybe not uh, on a good team and uh Wes Davis says best comp for Walker Kessler and I've thrown Jakub Pertl out there for him as a possibility as just a a very good rim protecting center he doesn't have the offensive game of a brook lopez although i do see some elements there where he's just so long that he and particularly from a standing reach standpoint that he just really surprises guys so yeah i think portal would probably be it for me although in some ways And Kessler might be a little better finisher around the rim as like a dunker, a little more bounce off of two feet. Doesn't have that kind of put the ball on the floor, one dribble game that Pirtle has. Doesn't really have that floater game yet. Anyone else that comes to mind for you?
0: Burtle was the first one for me. I don't I don't have a great other player and I would love for Kessler to get a reliable three pointer like that would be that'd be really fun for him. Um, And just you think yeah. about the, I, I am
1: very skeptical that will happen, though.
0: I'm very skeptical, too. Like, there, I, I think I saw him hit one in the Auburn film that I watched, but it was not it was not like, oh, he's doing that all the time. He Walker Kessler was 10 of 50 on threes last year
1: surprised you took that money honestly. So, uh yeah, let's we got like 10 of these questions. So, let's run through them really quickly here. What value do the Jazz vets have in the market? We're getting a bunch of questions like are they sellers are they buyers? But that's a good place to start here from its rhyme of just how much value do these guys actually have on the market? So, it depends what you're willing to take back. You know if that if it's Mike Conley, are you willing to take back salary that is worse than Mike Conley? Because it, it's all about the delta between the player you're sending out and receiving. It, I don't think though, if you're just, let's say you're thinking more of it as trading the guy away for just expiring contract. I don't think any of those players have first round value. Maybe if you combine them, a lot of these guys are expiring themselves like Jordan Clarkson, I, I mean, maybe he's like slightly positive value, but a lot of these guys are just not for a team that's really trying to win it. I'm not sure, like like Mike Conley to Dallas would make some sense, right? But you're taking back some crap. And then for Dallas, they we talked about them yesterday of how they're trading. They don't want to give up a future first because they want to have them all available for the big score to get that second star next to Luca. I don't think Mike Conley would help to solve some of their problems, but he would caused some big issues defensively and he's just not going to put them over the top I believe for a, a championship this season who, who else we, am I missing I mean you want to put Malik Beasley in that category
0: I would I, I mean they could keep Malik Beasley I think that'd be reasonable to he has a team option for next year Beasley's just he's making the threes um so you consider keeping him around but I think another team could be interested, and if you're willing to take on some bad salary, so then you're giving the uh, your potential trade partner an upgrade and savings. Then maybe you could get up to like first round pick value or a player who is uh, who is equivalent there. I like Blake Beasley a lot, but the you know it, it, unless a player is like a surefire starter, it's often hard to get that level of evaluation. But maybe there's a possibility with the Jazz. Um, it's harder because they don't necessarily, well, I guess they would do it in a different way of doing something like what the, what Houston did last year. And for those who don't remember, that was, they traded a second round pick in exchange in exchange for a first so basically instead of they got a first but it was it was was more like a bump up of like eight picks or whatever it was than it was like truly getting a first and utah has minnesota's so maybe that's close enough to like the range that you and i consider valuable that you could get you could get a team to give you something in the late first
1: yeah and Jacob, we already mentioned his question about the three or four players in the jazz roster but again getting so many questions about these potential trades like are they sellers or buyers and i I think it just as interesting as they've been now let's see what happens between now and the deadline right if they're kind of all right we're five games below 500 this is kind of peered out you know the offense is 10th and the defense is 28th And we're just, uh, all right, fine. Like, maybe we would be the 10th seed. But the the steam of this season has petered out i'm not necessarily predicting that will happen i think they'll be around a 500 team here going forward conley potentially getting hurt again would be an issue marketing is going to come back now thankfully we're doing the strategy stream on thursday so i'm very thankful about that also but they have these structural issues where they're not going to force turnovers they're not going to get a defensive rebound they're going to be pretty poor protecting the rim unless kessler is in there so they're and they don't have like that one superstar, like Lowry's gonna be good. Maybe he'll make the all-star team, but it's it's hard for me to see them getting much above 500, which of course is an accomplishment given where we saw them at the start of the year. So it doesn't really make sense to move these guys as long as they're really in solid playoff contention to get some seconds. I think if they are, Danny Ainge would say, all right, I'll move Mike Conley, but I need to get a solid first back in exchange and I'll take back some bad salary, but I just don't know what team... Is willing to give up a first under those circumstances, and particularly given how much Conley makes, where that team could also save some money as well. Jazz also are about seven million shy of the tax. They're a little bit limited in how much they could take on, but they could take on a little bit. What else do you want to do here in terms of these questions?
0: Uh, We could do the one from It's Ryan with the Jazz hovering around 500. Which direction should they be pushing for? And do you think it differs from what they're actually do? I think they, you know, if they, if it's truly a choice, then you, I would push the brake more than the accelerator, but, but like, I'm not going to give up assets in a deal to get better right now. Um, I actually did a long podcast with Dan Feldman and we spent some time on the Jazz in that construct before. But I want to point out a specific possibility for Danny Ainge, and this, I. If this ends up becoming a kind of a, a a trade market where things aren't shaking loose as easily, I wouldn't be stunned to see him make what looks like an upgrade, but it's really more of an arbitrage value play where he identifies a player and says like basically like for whatever reason, their trade value is too low, brings them in as a way as kind of like an alternate because the other options weren't as good. So I don't know who that player is. I'm not sure it's going to be that type of trade market, but Danny Ainge will bet on his board and his evaluations a aggressively right. Well, that will do
1: it for today we still got to get to the warriors pals and sons questions Uh, hopefully do that either today or or i'm sorry tomorrow or the next day got a gamer tomorrow Uh, gonna do golden state in milwaukee and whatever else piques uh, our interest gotta catch up on some news tomorrow as well and we should have one of our favorite podcasts of the year coming later this week don't want to spoil that but looking forward to getting that in front of you And we'll talk soon. Till then. We got another day of NBA action. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel.